You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. I'm Ambigar Garian, joined by my co-host, John Tarleton. Now, turning to our second segment and final segment of the day, Nardine Kiswana, Kiswani, sorry, Nardine Kiswani is the founder and chair of the NYC-based group Within Our Lifetime, United for Palestine, a community organization revitalizing the revolutionary spirit of the Palestinians in exile in pursuit of liberation. Through Within Our Lifetime, commonly known as WAL, Nardine has spoken and organized around the Palestinian cause nationwide and worldwide, building solidarity with oppressed peoples fighting for liber- liberation. Now, Nardine is in her third year at CUNY School of Law, where she's the president of Students for Justice in Palestine. Nardine is here to update us on what's been going on recently in Gaza with amped up attacks on the Holy Al-Aqsa Mosque, as well as what's happening in NYC with the Palestinian community here. Nardine, welcome to the show. We are excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me and for covering this important topic, as we know, Um, It's often hidden in mainstream media, so it's always important to get the word out as much as possible. Absolutely. We're here for it, and we're not mainstream, but as much as we can do, we're here for it. So um, jumping right in, over the weekend, almost 500 Palestinians were arrested in Israeli soldier attacks on Al-Aqsa Mosque and other areas in the Gaza Strip, and that mosque is the third holiest site in Islam. Um, 170 Palestinians were injured, several of whom were journalists that were pinpointed, say, you know, say Palestinians. And we're going to listen to some clips here. In the clips, you can hear the sound of the police assaulting a a woman at the mosque, um, as well as Palestinians talking about what had happened and the significance of the mosque. So we'll go here to the Alaska mosque clips. We were forced out of the Al-Aqsa Mosque after the dawn prayer. Then Jewish settlers started to enter. After we saw two groups of them, we started to chant, and the Israeli forces tried to detain me. They are invading in big numbers. During this holiday, it is known every year that they, the Jewish visitors, invade the Al-Aqsa Mosque. I am calling on everyone who can reach Al-Aqsa gates to come and support us. The Al-Aqsa Mosque and Damascus Gate are maybe the only remaining public spaces for Palestinians in the entirety of Jerusalem, where Palestinian existence is criminalized, where Palestinian taking up space is criminalized. Al-Aqsa Mosque is, yes, the third holiest site in Islam, but it's not only that. It is a social site. It's a political site. It's a site where I, as a teenager, used to go and study for my tests. And if we are robbed from that, then in our native city, we do not have any public spaces left. So in addition to uh, the attack on the Al-Aqsa Mosque in the recent few days, dozens of Palestinians have been killed. One was a mother of six who was shot down in the street for really no reason. Another was a young man, Mohammed Asaf, who was the legal advisor to Palestinians of uh, Palestinian Authorities Committee against the wall. Um, but, you know, we hear these fragmented, slanted pieces of news that refer to this as an even-sided conflict. A recent NBC headline I found reads, Palestinians clash with Israeli police at Jerusalem holy site. So tell us um, what you've heard from your on-the-ground connections and uh, how ongoing this attack is, especially on Al-Aqsa. Yeah, I mean, one of the clips said it early on in the beginning is that 
this happens every Ramadan, you know, in yeah. Ramadan, we're fasting from sunrise to sunset. And the last time I was able to go to Palestine before I was permanently banned by Israel due to my activism, I remember going to Al-Aqsa Mosque every single day um, in Ramadan. And on so many days, you would just have soldiers, Israeli soldiers storming the mosque for absolutely no reason, not that they'd have, you know, a justified reason to be there to begin with, since they are the the colonizing entity but they would just storm in with their stun grenades with their smoke bombs um harassing people shooting at at women at children at all different types of of people all of the time so this is something that i experienced firsthand and this was a, a few years ago back then nobody was covering it no one was you know even sharing videos that are coming out of the ground so um now you know these videos are starting to be shared people are sharing them on social media but this is Definitely nothing new. Um, hundreds of Palestinians continue to be attacked, shot at, beaten, and prevented from worshiping by Zionist occupation forces. And every year during Ramadan, these attacks escalate. Um, and not just against, you know, Palestinian Muslims. They do this to all Palestinians, um, Palestinian Christians who are also trying to celebrate Easter. Um, I know it comes on different dates um, depending on the denomination, but you know, they're also prevented from uh, being able to worship and access their holy sites to the fullest extent. So this is really a whole scale attack on all um, uh, Palestinians who are risking their lives just to be able to worship, just to be able um, to study and live freely. And, um, and, you know, this is this is uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say just on, on the religion aspect. It is Ramadan, Ramadan Mubarak, by the way. And just talk about what Ramadan means for listeners who might not know. And the irony of the fact that, you know, it's for the poor to eat like the rich and the rich to experience starvation. Um, but how could people struggling not only in Palestine, but in the Arab world in general, let's be honest, how can a Yemeni be expected to celebrate Ramadan right now when there's constant bombing? Just your comments on that and what Ramadan means. Exactly. You know, it's it's difficult because we're fasting from sunrise to sunset from all food, from water. Um, and it's really like, you know, supposed to be a peaceful time. But of course, Zionists take advantage of this. They take advantage of thinking that Palestinians are in a weakened state because we're not able to eat by attacking us. But we know that, you know, spiritually, we're much stronger during this time. So despite Zionist attacks, Palestinians continue to defend ourselves with everything we have from everywhere we are, um, you know, despite the fact that we have to fast and not even be able to drink or eat anything throughout the day. And this is also a time where we're supposed to be dedicated um, to worshiping. But, you know, of course, they want to make that as hard as possible. Another reason why this is so significant is because Ramadan is one of the only times that Palestinians in the West Bank can even dream of getting a permit to go into Al-Aqsa Mosque, right? Because they're not allowed to travel freely or even pray in the holiest site mm -hmm. for Muslims in their country. But during Ramadan, you know, they're supposed to be able to get permits. But of course, um, you know, they'll issue some permits, they'll deny some people. And then for those that even get to make it to Al-Aqsa, um, they're not going to make it a pleasant experience for them. They don't want them um, to be, you know, wanting to come back. They want Palestinians to live um, in fear. But thanks to the protectors of Al-Aqsa Mosque, the brave youth that we've seen putting their bodies on the line to protect our people. Despite all this happening last Friday, 60,000 Palestinians still showed up to pray at Al-Aqsa Mosque. So yeah. they can keep trying to attack and kill us, but this only makes us stronger. Nardine, can you tell us about uh, yourself and your family's story of migration? And you said you've been banned from Palestine. Can you elaborate on that as well? 
Yeah, I was born um, in Jordan to Palestinian refugees. There's a big Palestinian refugee population in Jordan and in neighboring Arab countries since so many Palestinians live in exile ever since the 1948 Nakba when 750,000 Palestinians were expelled forcibly from their homes and 531 villages were depopulated. So a lot of our stories start out that way. Mine started in Jordan. I, you know, moved to the U.S. when I was one. So um, I didn't really, you know, get a chance to, to see Palestine much, but I've been there three times. Once when I was a baby and um, two when I was two more times when I was older. Uh, but at that time, I started getting involved in activism um, and particularly with students for justice in Palestine at the College of Staten Island, my alma mater. And the last time I tried to go to Palestine in 2015, uh, the Israeli authorities at the border actually pulled out a file that um, had newspaper articles about um, some so event for Palestine that we had um, at, at CSI. And it said my name and it said that I was president, all of these things. So they interrogated me for 16 hours. They left me at the border until two o'clock in the morning. They wouldn't give me my passport back. I didn't have, um, you know, even uh cell phone connection so I couldn't contact anyone um and you know they just accused me of being anti-semitic because I I I was part of a club for Palestine um on my campus they you know said they started questioning me about the Gaza war that happened in 2014 and what my opinion on that was when I told them it's sad when any innocent life dies they called me a liar um and eventually gave me a they asked to go through my phone they asked for my password and when I refused to give them that they gave me a paper that um, said immigration uh, to Israel denied. Even though I'm a U.S. citizen, it's it's not immigration. I was going in on the U.S. visa waiver program, uh, which should be accessible to all U.S. citizens. But um, on the paper, the reason that they said it was denied was hostile behavior towards Israel. But, of course, this is an all-too-common experience of many Palestinians who are punished for speaking out in defense of our people, in defense of our homeland. Um, they want people to be afraid to do that. And they'll take away one of the most treasured experiences of being able to, you know, visit our country, see my family there. I'm not able to go to the village where all four of my grandparents were born um, or see any of my dad's family who all live there right now. Mm-hmm. Not able to pray, not able to go home, as if that should be an argument anyway. Um, so I, I actually was speaking uh, with some folks the other day who who did not remember last May's attack um, or, you know, 14 day bombing um, of of Gaza uh, from the Israeli side, even though I, I, I remember having conversations with those people around the time that it happened and they're, you know, in general in solidarity with the Palestinian cause. So, you know, it makes me think about what this persistent aggression and this persistent refugee status does to the collective consciousness of those that should even be, quote unquote, you know, in solidarity and, and how we value violence. Violence and you know who deserves violence and of course this is coming up now again with the extremely terrifying extremely unfortunate war that's happening in Ukraine being waged on Ukraine but we the way we value life is um, very clear yeah black and brown people uh, the the suffering of black and brown people is something that so many are desensitized to and of course um, you know those comments sting we're all familiar with them because we're quote unquote uncivilized. We don't deserve human rights. I mean, I think this 
what happened in Ukraine, um, as unfortunate as it is, exposed a lot of the hypocrisy around um, refugees, particularly black refugees who are trying to come out of, um, you know, Ukraine that were being denied. And now with everything going on in Palestine, um, everyone's mind first and foremost goes to that double standard. The fact that, you know, not only were people standing with Ukrainian refugees, but going as far as funding, um, actually sending funding to and sending weapons to Ukraine, um, something that we can't even, you know, dream of talking about for Palestine because um, it's criminalized in the U.S. to send material support to Palestinians. Um, meanwhile, you can you can fundraise and send weapons to Ukraine, um, let alone, you know, standing with 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 Palestinian uh, refugees or Palestinians on the ground who are suffering from Israeli settler colonialism. Um, so, you know, I think that um, it's important to, to bring up this hypocrisy and to continue to challenge the desensitization um, and the, the racism, frankly, that people have towards Palestinians and towards other black and brown people who are also suffering, who've been suffering for decades, who've been fighting against settler colonialism, who've been fighting against you know, these senseless wars that are waged on our lands against our people um, to no avail. But, you know, I think um, people are starting to wake up to this hypocrisy. I was just on a call with um, American Airlines to change a flight or something um, for my mom. And, you know, she was she's going to Jordan. So even the, the call, uh, the call person was talking to me about how he wants to go to Jordan. He brought up Palestine and, and the hypocrisy with Ukraine. And this is it was just funny because it's on a call to, to change a flight, but you know, it's, it's really reaching everywhere. And I think um, it, it's getting to a mainstream level, um, acknowledging this hypocrisy, at least, even if the media doesn't cover it, um, we're seeing it everywhere on social media. This is what people are talking about. So, um, you know, you right. pretty much summed it up as well. Right. Uh, yeah. No, I remember those television commentators seemed almost shocked that uh, uh, white people would attack other uh, white people as if, <laughs> uh, that that was unimaginable. Uh, but uh, when Israeli, speaking of white people attacking, when is, uh, Israeli forces bombed Gaza for two weeks last May, there were worldwide protests in solidarity with the Palestinian people. And one protest in Bay Ridge uh, in the south of uh, Brooklyn, where there's a large Palestinian community, there was a turnout of an estimated 50,000 people. What has the momentum from that looked like? And what keeps the Palestinian community uh, uplifted and, and uh, you know, finding, a, I guess, a, a positive uh, 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 ray uh, of hope amid all, all the oppression and, and violence that it's subjected to? Yeah, protests have been so important for the Palestinian cause because they're one of the few places that we can really come together to collectively rage. So many Palestinians here in New York have family back home. Um, that are, you know, living directly under the bombs or that are, um, you know, being prevented from traveling freely. So everyone here has has someone back home that's hurting that they're fighting for. Everyone here has a grandparent or a story that traces back to the Nakba. Um, and, you know, it's not just Palestinians, of course, who come to these protests, but the larger, you know, adjacent community, so many Muslims and Arabs and non-Muslims. And non-Arabs, you know, people, uh, more and more people of all oppressed backgrounds in particular are standing in solidarity with the Palestinian cause, um, especially relating it to, to causes that they're also facing. So, you know, I believe that the, the uprising for Black Lives Matter 
um, directly contributed to the Palestinian uprising as well. Um, and we find strength in supporting one another's struggles. And, you know, since then, we've continued uh, to organize. So many people are joining organizations. Uh, we're having an up- upcoming rally this Wednesday at five o'clock in front of the Zionist mission, um, you know, bringing this up again. And throughout that summer, you know, we protested almost every single day in every single borough of New York City. Yes, we even went to Staten Island. Uh, but, you know, there's this thirst. Of, uh, for people to cry out against oppression because they've been so familiar and so silenced about the oppression for so long. But, you know, we've really reached a breakthrough moment where growing up, people would be afraid to talk about Palestine or even sometimes identify as Palestinian. And now not only are we proud to identify with being Palestinian, but we're also proud um, to unbashedly support the Palestinian struggle and those who keep it alive, namely the, the Palestinian resistance. And, you know, we're becoming more and more unwavering in our support for Palestinian liberation, consistent to our principles. And, and you know, people are becoming less afraid to talk about Palestine. Um, and I think, you know, that was not only the effects of, of these large protests that happen in New York, around the mm-hmm. country and around the world, but also the persistent um, nature of the Palestinian people back home who have been resisting throughout these past 74 years and longer. Right. And one of the, the most high profile uh, forms of, of Palestinian uh, or pro-Palestinian uh, protest uh, around the world in the last 17 years has been the BDS movement, which was, I believe, initiated in 2005. What's your assessment of how that is going? Because uh, I, I wonder if it's working. I mean, very few major institutions have uh, uh, agreed to abide by a BDS. Uh, it, it hasn't gained the, the kind of traction uh, that the the boycott and sanction movement against South Africa gained in the 1970s and 80s. What do you think is the difference here, and it, it, are there other uh, uh, other methods that should be uh, tried? Yeah, well, like you know, Amber mentioned at, at the beginning of the of the call, um, I'm a three L at CUNY Law. Unfortunately, and fortunately, um, last semester we actually passed our BDS resolution. Um, and we're seeing more examples of, of colleges across the country that are either having um, resolutions passed or introduced. And while, you know, uh, not all universities will pass um, the resolution or sometimes like a university like ours, we passed it as student government. But, um, you know, CUNY Central and the Board of Trustees are not going to abide by what the students want. They're just right. going to be interested in lining their pockets. It's still important to bring up these conversations because, it, it really allows us to organize people on Palestine. It's a way to directly connect it to people in the U.S. who might say, you know, what does the struggle have to do with me? Well, if you're aware that your tuition money is going to fund companies that are, um, you know, that are maintaining the occupation of the Palestinian people, then it absolutely has everything to do with you. And I think that's the main thing that we try to do through these BDS campaigns is that it's a tool and a toolbox um, that we use to help, you know, spread awareness, um, to educate people, to agitate people, um, and to organize for the Palestinian cause. So, you know, it's unfortunate that people aren't taking it up as, as much as they should. And boycott has existed even before BDS. You know, so many um, other Arab neighboring countries to this day have consistently boycotted Israeli goods, have boycotted working with Israeli institutions in any way. And I think 
um, you know, we're just trying to bring that here to the U.S. Uh, at this point. And I think it's it's really important um, to not only make it about the boycott of goods and, and taking like finances out of Israel's pockets, because at the end of the day, the U.S. still gives $10 million of our tax uh, of our tax dollars every single day in military aid alone um, to Israel. But, you know, we have to look at this as what culture are we building on our campuses, in our institutions, in our places of work? And um, it's important to call out when when we work when these institutions work with people who support the Palestinian genocide, um, people or, or other institutions um, who are complicit in, in killing Palestinians. Um, and this especially affects universities for example, who have partnerships with um, other universities like Tel Aviv University that is um, holding Palestinian bodies hostage, um, not, you know, not giving them back to their families after they've been killed by Israeli soldiers. Um, and, and this is something that, you know, you can look up. It sounds it sounds crazy, but it's absolutely happening. You know, how can we watch that happen and then partner with these universities or do like exchange programs with them? Um, so I think it's beyond just the finances. It's about shifting that culture um, and using BDS as a tool, as a tactic um, to educate people on the Palestinian struggle and what it right. has to do with them. And, 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 you know, that this is something that happens, unfortunately, is just a defining factor of the economic system we live under and the political system we live under, which is that, um, you know, corporate interests hold wealth that often continues violence, um, or state, 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 state sanctioned violence. So kind of with that, you know, frame of mind, um, Talk about how Gaza and and Palestine, you know, really is a a a microcosm for struggles around the world, um, and uh, and how you know the revolutionary spirit is so strong there. What we can learn from Palestinian revolutionaries, um, and, and if you want, in a moment, you can you can touch on Nakba Day coming up. I know you said uh, a little bit about it, but uh, tell tell everyone what it is, and uh, we have about a minute to wrap up here. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, Palestine and Gaza continues to be the litmus test. Seeing other people fight for liberation struggles is empowering for all oppressed people around the world who are also fighting for the liberation struggles. And I can't, I'm going to want to look for the quote now since we have so little time, but Ghassan Kenafani said, you know, anywhere that you strike imperialism, you serve world revolution. Um, and, and people look to Palestine for that inspiration to continue to fight for their struggles, just as Palestinians look to the, to the struggles of black liberation, of indigenous liberation, and so many other struggles as inspiration for ours. Um, and, you know, I, I'll plug in May 15 now. We have two, we have two protests. We have one on Wednesday, April 20th. 5 p.m. at the Zionist Mission. That's not Nakba Day. That's the emergency protest in response to everything going on right now. Uh, but for Nakba Day, we'll be in Bay Ridge. Um, time coming soon, but we'll be there. We'll be there all day. Hopefully, we can replicate um, or even exceed the number of people um, that we got last year. But we know that news about Palestine is continuously being suppressed. Um, so hopefully that doesn't affect it. But, you know, we find we find strength in each other regardless whether or not um, the world supports us. As long as Palestinians in Palestine continue to wage the struggle, continue to fight um, for our freedom and for our return. You know, we will support them as Palestinians in exile with whatever we have 
from whatever from wherever we are and if that's protesting in new york if that's bds resolutions if that's you know um organizing fundraisers um to send money to palestine we're gonna do that Right. And that is Nardine Kiswani with Within Our Lifetime Palestine. Thank you so much for joining us here on WBAI Independent News Hour. Um, that wraps it up for our show today, folks. We are going to leave you with Childhood by Hamzal Din, the South, South Egyptian. <laughs>